Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. The lovely Matt, everybody. So, uh, um, I'm sorry. It takes me just a second here. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here. Uh, as is normal for me on these occasions, my Father's Day gift to you is that I'm going to keep teaching through Luke. Uh, uh, but I do, before we get started today, I do uh, want to point out, we do have guests with us. Uh, as you may or may not have known, uh, the Kaleo College Group has been here a lot this summer. They've been uh, volunteering in the back, yes, and we really appreciate them. been working a lot uh, around here with us. Uh, so if you see some college students or if you're picking up your kids, uh, be sure to thank them, uh, be friendly to them. But also this weekend, I've been uh, sharing at a, at a youth retreat at Laguna Beach, uh, and it's a youth uh, group from First Baptist Church of LEJ, Georgia, and they're actually with us here this morning. I couldn't get somebody to teach for me, so I said, will you guys come over here? And they said, sure. So they're all here today. Now, I just want to point out that I, I, this is like the fourth, fourth year, maybe? Uh, anyway, I've known you guys for what, four or five years now, about five years. And, and, uh, Josh was the youth pastor when he first came down, uh, and brought his youth down. And in that five years, he has transitioned into being the lead pastor at first Baptist church in LEJ. And, and it's a big deal because their first Baptist church is like ours. I mean, this is a big deal. So if you think of it, will you be praying for he and his family? Cause that's a big transition for them to have to make, but I've really enjoyed being able to spend the weekend with the students from there. And, uh, uh by the way, uh, students from, uh, LEJ, Georgia, who, who are you? Oh, you absolutely are. And what, what a coincidence because Eastgate, who are you? Not, not as vocally as they are, but still, what a, what a great thing that is. All of us equally loved by God together, sharing one father. Look at this, this big family of God. It's, it's a beautiful picture all the way around. Uh, we had a great service last week at Sheffield Park last Sunday with Pastors United. Uh, it was so powerful and it's so clearly a move of the Holy Spirit. I'm just eager to see where it goes from here, where God takes us. Uh, last week, we finished up the unity series that we were doing with the other churches. So today, we're going to pick back up in our study of the Gospel of Luke. And I, just before we get started on that, I want to say that it's possible you may feel a sense of letdown. Uh, by, by, you know, we build up towards this thing that we did and it was so exciting and, and uh, so powerful. And we may feel like, oh, we're just going to go back into the same thing that we were doing. What's the next exciting thing that we're going to do? I want to do that. And here's where I want to give you a word uh, of caution from my years of experience within the church. I honestly believe the fastest path to spiritual burnout is to build our spirituality around ecstatic experiences. Those, those kinds of experiences are great. Those are, they're wonderful and they're meaningful and I think they're necessary, but uh, we don't want to be like Peter and try to homestead the mountaintop experience. Uh, a lasting legacy of our faith will be the product of our faithfulness to attend what God has given us to do. 
And we attend to what all churches are called to attend to, according to Acts 2, that we devote our attention to God's word and his works, that we do life together as community, that we share in communion with God, and that we pray and worship together. That was at the outset. That was basically the, the, the purpose and the function of the church in developing community. As Eugene Peterson called it, we participate in the long obedience in the same direction. So, you know, the book of Acts is full of all kinds of exciting things. When you read the book of Acts, it's like, whoa, I want that. There's all this stuff going on. But we have to remember the book of Acts covers a period of time of about 60 years. And what we're reading in there are the high points. And there were a lot of days in between where people were being faithful to God in very unexciting ways as well. So more ecstatic days will come. I believe that, but we'll remain faithful as we go. And the mission of that, uni- that unity service is ongoing. Pastors United, we are still meeting twice a month, and we're going to continue to meet and discover ways of becoming one church and in devotion to Jesus and how it is that we can serve one another and serve the larger community that we live in, and we're going to be faithful to that as well. But now, as I said, after that long introduction, we're coming back to our study of the gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke, remember, is... is uh, is a gospel account. It's a it's the uh, Luke's documentary of the original Jesus movement. And uh, this morning, if you want to and you want to follow along in your own Bible or Bible app, if you'll go to Luke chapter eight, please. In this gospel account, we read about Jesus's birth. We read about John the Baptist's birth. We've seen the start of Jesus's ministry, his growing popularity among the people in the Galilee region, but also the growing hostility that's been developing uh, against him from the leadership of. The, the religious system that feels threatened by him. And when we left off last week, or last time anyway, we were working our way through Luke chapter 8. And lots of stuff was going on. Jesus told some parables. He described a new kind of family that was going to form uh, uh, and, and, and emerge around him. He calmed a, story, a storm. He went to Gentile territory and delivered uh, a demonized man And all of this was revelatory of Jesus's authority, authority to speak for God, authority over natural elements, authority over spiritual elements. And now today we're going to see his authority over sickness and death as we read about two miracles that happen almost simultaneously. They happen for people from totally different societal placements. One's a respected leader and the other is an outcast. One is a man and the other one is a woman. One comes from a place of possible, we could even say probable wealth. The other seems to have no support system at all. And there are two stories that have no common ground at all in their individual environments. But where they're going to come together is in the desperation and hopelessness and then trust that they put in Christ. So these two very dissimilar people are going to find their stories merged in the context of God's kingdom. And these two very different people are going to find themselves unified in seeking Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's intriguing to me that once I start looking at a particular subject in the Bible, uh, the patterns of it just emerge all over the place uh, as I'm reading, uh, like unity. And I believe that this is one of the major emphases of the gospel, discovering our commonality in Jesus. So anyway, with that in mind, this is what we're going to be looking at today um, uh, let's read our text. If you're there in Luke chapter 8, we'll also put it up on the screen. We'll pick up where we left off, starting with verse 40. On the other side of the lake, 
the crowds welcomed Jesus. The other side of the lake, meaning he went back home. He was in Gentile territory. Now he and the guys are back home because they had been waiting for him. They're welcoming him because they've been waiting for him in his hometown. Then a man named Jairus, or or Jairus, as it's usually said around us, a leader in the local synagogue came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. Jesus went with him. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. Okay, so here's our first character in the stories that we're going to look at today. He's a leader in the local synagogue, and his name is Jairus, or Jairus. A leader in the synagogue in those days was more than just, we might think in terms of a deacon or, or something like that, but he was, he was a man who was respected within the community and also a person who would have made civil decisions for the community at large. It was not just a spiritual or religious position. It spilled over into everyday life. He would have likely had a level of wealth. That was usually how that worked. It works that way in almost any society. People who have means somehow become the people who call the shots. And, and so we'll see that he has a close family who supports him and whom he supports. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet, pleading for Jesus to come and care for or heal his critically ill daughter. Now, it is Father's Day, and I would say that, you know, I would say, Dad... Uh, if you're concerned about your kids, this is the best place to, to find yourself at the feet of Jesus and seeking his help in that. But this is our first character. Uh, this, this person of position and, and even power, small as it may be within that local community. So let's keep reading. We're going to meet his opposite, uh, who sort of interrupts the story. So we get to verse 43. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, uh, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, mm, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him. Think about that for a moment. And, and then she said that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So here's our second character. It's a woman who has suffered from what must be chronic hemorrhaging. And, and given the cultural and religious pressures of that time, this, this disorder would have caused her to be ostracized within not only the religious, but also the larger community at that time. The Old Testament, the law of Moses, declared that anyone with continuous, oops, continuous, it's not where I wanted my microphone to be getting close to have to say these words, but continuous <laughs> bodily discharge, uh, that's, that was considered ceremonially unclean in the Old Testament uh, law. She would have been cut off from the temple. She would have been cut off from the synagogue. She would have been cut off from her family or because anything or anyone else she touched became ceremonially unclean. Even if she had had a husband at one time, it's very likely she would have been divorced because of this. It's very likely she had no family or means of support. And we know from the other gospel accounts that all of her money was used up on medical bills to, to try to get a, a cure for this. But she's someone who clearly believes that Jesus could affect a healing for her if she could just touch the outer fringes of him. 
when it says to touch the fringe of his robe, it's talking about the tzitzit on the, on the prayer shawl, the little uh, dangling cords that come down. That's what she was reaching out to try to touch. So she's an outcast, likely an impoverished woman seeking to touch Jesus for healing. And in the act of touching Jesus, we have this curious detail that Jesus knew that power went out from him. I mean, those are the things that I would love details on. Like, how did he know that? Like, did he have like some, like, is there like a battery marker or something on his arm? Ooh, the charge just went down 10%. Or, I mean, I have no idea. It's a fascinating statement and it just dangles there without any explanation. And I love the incredulous response of his disciples when he asks who touched him. Cause they're like, uh, you know, that would be all of us, Jesus, because of this crowd that's here. But he meant specifically a power tapping touch of faith. And, and they had to look around for that. In fact, you almost get the sense that, that, uh, Jesus is looking around specifically for her. It's such an interesting picture because here we have, there's a lot of people bumping up against Jesus. It's reaching for him in trust that makes the difference. There's a lot of people in life that'll bump up against Jesus, come across him. But it's when we reach out in faith, believing him for the help and the hope that we need. Oh, that's what makes the difference. Now, her story resolves instantaneously. She trusted that touching Jesus was going to help her. And she was healed in that moment to such a degree that she's immediately aware of it. But we're going to see that, that Jairus' problem is, is prolonged and prolonged actually beyond the point of hope. He reaches the limit of his hope in this. And as I said, these two characters are intriguing counterparts. So let's keep reading the story as Jesus has been delayed. Remember, he's delayed by this episode. We pick back up verse 49. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with them, with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing in that society and time. You would actually hire professional mourners who would come in and fill the place up to get a lot of noise going on. So the house was filled with these people. But he, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Again, another intriguing little thing. Why does Jesus not want them putting this on Insta? We're not exactly sure why, but we assume it has to do with timing, that there's a timing that's involved in this. There's a time and place where Jesus is going to be bringing this to its head, and he doesn't want to get ahead of what God's doing. So there's so many nuances in these stories that are sandwiched together here. And the details make these characters counterpoints to each other. Jairus's daughter was 12 years old and the woman had suffered this malady for 12 years. Jairus brings his daughter to Jesus's attention. Jesus calls the woman daughter when she's healed. Jesus, Jairus comes and he bows down before Jesus. He's desperate. The woman bows low to touch Jesus and then bows before him, acknowledging her healing. 
So despite their great societal disparities, despite the differences uh, in their families, in their gender, their economy, they both end up at the same place, desperate at Jesus' feet. And I think Luke is trying to tell us something here, a dual truth in this, that no one is immune from trouble and no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. In our culture, especially, we have a tendency to think that that wealth and respect can actually insulate us uh, from from real world problems. We assume that the wealthy don't really go through what we go through. Uh, you know, if I just had enough money, I wouldn't have to, you know, go through whatever it is, name it. But there's one thing that life teaches us, and that is trouble is no respecter of persons. Pain is not influenced by bank accounts or positions of power at all. Uh, more than likely, Jairus had also spent a lot of money on doctors trying to get his daughter healed. Some things, some things in life are just beyond human ingenuity and beyond human hope. That's just the reality of this broken world that we live in. A lot of time and effort and resources are used in the course of our lives trying to establish some sense of security against all the things that the world doles out, all the pain and the suffering that's there. These two characters actually stand in for all of humanity, all of us. They represent the human condition. Whether we're high or low on the societal order of things, this world can and often will press in on us with its brokenness. But that's just one aspect of what's true. What's also true is that no one is too far away from God's grace to receive it. God's redemptive grace is close to anyone who's willing to reach out for it. The trouble that both these characters faced pushed them into desperate and risky risky actions in order to receive from God. And, and, And the risk was different for each of them. For Jairus, just coming to Jesus was a risky endeavor. He's a leader in the synagogue, which means he is likely a Pharisee. And if we remember the Pharisees just a few chapters back, were plotting on how to not cheer Jesus on, but plotting on how they're going to kill Jesus. So, so Jairus, he's breaking ranks here and he's asking Jesus for help. And so his very position within the community has been put at risk by this behavior. On the opposite side of that, The woman suffering uh, had to risk violating ceremonial code to get near Jesus. She had to move her way through the crowd, even though the law forbade her from doing something like that. (laughs) She, She had to take the risk of being exposed and publicly shamed and hated because of her movement through the crowd that way. The risks were very different for each of them, and yet they land at the very same place, at the feet of Jesus, beyond their own limits, but not beyond God's grace, not beyond his power to move and intervene in our lives. And please notice that Jesus doesn't seem to mind that he appears to be their last resort. (laughs) You know, in fact... You know, we have a tendency even to put ourselves under that pressure. Well, you don't want to be Jesus' last resort. Well, or not Jesus' last resort. The la- you don't want Jesus to be your last resort. Like you should be living in trust and, and granted we want to do that. But at the same time, God doesn't get mad over that kind of stuff. 
God isn't fragile in his ego like we are. In fact, he, he seems to almost have strategically planned this. There seems to almost be this divine uh, pattern here as though the lines in their lives were leading them just to this moment where they could have this encounter. In fact, that's another observation that we can make from this, that the times of trouble we face are often the place where our lives, what just happened there? There we go. Where, where our, our lives intersect with God's grace. There's times when we run out of all the options. We've exhausted everything that we know. Uh, we're at the end of our rope. There's nothing else that we're going to be able to hold on to. That's the very place that we're likely to meet up with Jesus and experience his grace. I know that's true in my own life. The, the places that I've tried to avoid at all costs in life are often the places where I have met God so profoundly. I mean, think about your own life experiences. When you think back over your life with God, have the times when you've grown closer to him or matured in your faith been those times when everything is so cool? Life is great. The sweet tea is cold. I'm just having a great time. Or is it in those times when we're struggling, when we're pressed into the corner and we have nowhere else to go? Are those the times that we find ourselves growing and maturing and reaching different levels of our relationship with God? God tends to meet us in those places when we're just hanging on. And, and this isn't to say, don't misunderstand this, that God causes pain or wills us to have trouble. I don't believe that. Those things are just the nature of this fallen world. Since Adam and Eve made the determination that we would build the world around human wisdom instead of God's, that's been the nature of this place. Those things are just there, but God seems to tr- strategically place himself at, those, at the corners of those hard times where uh, he can give us the opportunity to reach out to him. He gets close, he gets near in those moments so that we can turn to him and he's there. It's, it's taking the risk of believing that he loves us regardless of what we see going on around us, even in our lives. And to qualify... I don't assume that reaching out to God uh, is always going to result in some sort of uh, miraculous resolution like we read about in this story here. I mean, certainly don't rule that out. We're dealing with creator God. Anything is possible with God. And we certainly want to come to him with hopes and, and even expectations that anything is possible. All things are possible with God. But we also know experientially and even within the scriptures that not all troubles are resolved with a miracle. There were lots of other troubles, I'm sure. Lots of other troubles in that crowd around Jesus. There were tons of people. Whenever you get tons of people around, you're going to have tons of trouble (laughs) with with people's lives. There were a lot of people there. I'm sure there were other people reaching out, believing and hoping. But these two instances were highlighted to reveal a larger truth about the nature of God's kingdom. The experience of these two characters show us how our life of faith is progressing in general. There's times when life feels like it's pressing in, when we feel like we just don't have it in us to do anything, but just to weakly reach out for the fringes of Jesus. If all we feel like we can do is just whisper his name, that's okay. As a matter of fact, it's good. That's what this story is telling us. 
Jesus will later on say that a, a, a smoking ember, he's not going to put out a bruised reed. He's not going to break whatever it is that we can bring to him. Well, he's there. He's there and ready to receive it and ready to provide his grace to help. It's, it's, in, that, it's in that strange mixture of, of fear and faith when we've run out of people to turn to or places to go, when we finally acknowledge that we've reached the end of our limitations, it's there that we often meet with Jesus in some new and meaningful way. And like I said, that doesn't mean that you know, all of our troubles you know, always miraculously go away, but even there we find new ways in Christ to cope. He provides us the grace that's necessary to, to move through whatever it is. He said he overcame the world and he's given us that grace to do the very same thing, to overcome this mean world by knowing the grace of our God. This even appears to be the point of the story because as Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, believe, trust. Like a, a child trusts a parent in, in troubling times that God is going to guide us through whatever it is. In fact, that's the final observation I want to draw from this text, that God challenges us to trust him more than we trust our sense of self-control or our control over the situation. Not self-control, but our control over life events. We all have areas where we try to desperately maintain control of things, don't we? I mean, I know I have them in my life. I assume you do too. Those areas are going to be different for different people and over different issues for different people. For J. Iris, he was, he was grasping for control by trying to convince Jesus to get to his daughter before she died. He was holding on to his own prescription of what needed to happen. Jesus, you've got to get here before it's too late. And so with that in mind, just imagine J. Iris' frustration when Jesus stops to deal with a, a, a problem that was non-critical. I mean, it's a, the woman had been suffering for 12 years. One more hour would not have made that much difference in her experience. And yet Jesus stopped. Imagine his frustration when things are going off script. And when that happened, Jesus had to quickly challenge him. Trust me. Trust me, Jairus, more than you trust your plan. I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many times I have tried to take a seat at the council of God. <laughs> I keep thinking there's a reservation for me somewhere, but I've, I, I, get, I get before the Lord and I'm going to pray about you know, what, some issue. I'm, and, and I start explaining exactly what has to happen here. It's just, you know, help me or help this person I care about. Here's what's got to go. And I'll give all the details. I'll get a chart out and explain. And this, you've got to go here and do this. But I'm learning to catch myself and have a laugh with God. Because remember how we make God laugh? Tell him our plans. We tell him our plans. I remember John Kittler came to me one time and said, uh, let's pray a joke. And I went, what? And he said, yeah, let's pray a joke. And I'm open for anything. Okay, let's do this. And he said, Lord, here are my plans. And that was the joke. But anyway... We're prone to, to making plans for God. We're good at it. I mean, you know, it's our system of security. And again, it doesn't mean that we can't have a plan. I'm not, you know, oh, what are you doing today? Don't have any plans. I can't have any plans because, you know, it, it, it's not that. It's that when we're seeking God's help, when we're seeking God in that, the plans that we have, we have to hold loosely, right? 
We have to allow for the sovereignty of God and trust in his goodness that he's working these things out according to the way he knows that's going to be best. Working all things together for the good of those who, who, who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. And so, you know, we want to get discouraged when things don't go as we've scripted them. Well, God, I needed this to happen. You know, I needed that to take place and it didn't happen, Lord. Don't you care? Don't you love me? And Jesus is saying to us through this text, don't be afraid. Trust me, not your script. Trust me. Maybe life isn't going the way you thought it would. Maybe things aren't going the way that we had hoped for. It doesn't mean Jesus is not at work. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have a plan. It doesn't mean that his grace is not always available, maybe just in surprising ways that we hadn't anticipated. A call to faith is a call to a life of patience, of being willing to wait, to not be afraid, and to trust him. So let's always remember who we turn to when we've reached our limits. Jesus, Jesus has proven himself through the gospels. He's proven himself through history. He's proven himself in my experiences to be a friend of the desperate. He cares about us. He's working things together towards a good plan and purpose one day to be revealed. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't forgotten you. Students from L.E.J., Georgia, who are you? Eastgate, who are you? Then let's believe that. Let's believe it. Let's endeavor to trust in that love because his grace will bring us home. Right on? All right, very cool. Why don't you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you so much for what it is that you reveal in your word to us. We thank you for the stories of Jesus that guide us through our own life experiences. And right now, Father, I just pray. I pray for all of us that are here together. I know that whenever we assemble a room full of humans, we're going to also have a room full of potential crises and difficulties that have come with them. And so for all of us who are here today, Father, I just pray that you by your spirit will extend your grace and let your grace begin to settle in and all of us gathered here today. And whatever the troubles that we brought, the concerns that we have, the things that cause our stomachs to churn, Father, we, as an act of our will, put them down at your feet. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to work on our behalves. Father, bring miracles where miracles are part of your will and your plan. But beyond that, bring endurance and grace and the ability to live a coping life for the joy that's set before us. I pray that for all of us here today. Make yourself known and let your peace come to us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.